dive in today. We've, we have been in a series called Rebuilding. Rebuilding. And uh, over the last couple of months, I have really had a heavy heart. Uh, when it comes to the church, when it comes to young people, when it comes to this next generation, and really all of the above, I have been looking and reading quite a bit. And I want to give you a couple of stats some statistics that I have uh, been looking at and pondering and really trying to inspire our team and our staff and our people about becoming a solution to a problem that is not just coming, but that is already here. Um, there was a stati- uh, some stats. Here's one. 60,000 churches, and this is pandemic time. This is post-pandemic. Or up to 20% of all churches in America could close their doors within the next 18 months. 20%. 20%. 60,000 churches. I mean, that's a lot of churches. Here's another one. Up to only 12% of young people ages 18 to 24 identify as an evangelical Christian. Only up to 12%. But you think about 18 to 24, 18 to 24. What a pivotal age. What an amazing life period that you have as a young adult to, number one, either advance God's agenda for your life or to advance the devil's. How do you know there's only two masters? It's either God or the devil. There is no in-between. And, and so what we have to look at is if young people are living for God, then they're living for the enemy. And he's robbing their life. It doesn't matter if they were raised in church. doesn't matter how much they know about God. The enemy, look, even if you're saved, he can't rob you of your salvation, but he can rob you of your destiny. And he does that all day long. He, he actually enjoys doing that. He, and he'll allow you to feel like you're okay. And you're like, well, the devil's not messing with me. I would tell you, if the devil's not messing with you, you're probably in a dangerous place. That might mean that you're not a threat to him. He's not scared of what you're doing and where you're at. And uh, I, I just have been awakened with this passion to see young people, whether young adults or teenagers or children, reached with the gospel of Jesus. And not only reached, but discipled, raised up trained up. That's why they're coming this next week and they're doing the five on five. It's not because I don't have a message I can preach. I can always preach something. It's because we got to raise up this next generation. We got to allow them to come in and to lead at a level that they are created to lead at. And so we as a church have to have this focus of, I actually had someone tell me the other day, I've had several, they were just about my age and they came in and they said, you know, it's interesting, your church is so young. And I thought, okay. They, they, they said, yeah, man, it's just all these, all these young people that actually went to another church and, and that's fine. Look, I don't care. I just want you to go to a church. I don't think we're that young. You know, I look around, I think, okay, I'm 40, maybe I look younger, you know, I think we're probably mid-40s in this church, our demographic, and, um, but what I thought afterwards, where I'm like, well, and, and then I'm like, well, we got, um, you know, pre-COVID, we had a whole crew from Del Webb, all of our retirement community, I mean, just crew, and, and I get it, you know, they're not on site, I know you guys are watching online, and I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, um, but, but at first, it was like, well, we got older people, and then I thought, well, that's really a compliment, Because what I come to value is that we need all the generations coming together if we're going to actually see God's kingdom advanced in a powerful way. And so in one way, it was just like, ah, because then they came to the 1130. Well, the 1130 tends to be a lot younger. I know I got my seniors. Where's all my seniors? My mature up here in the 930. And here's what I know is that we are called to not just hand it off and let them go, but to help coach them, develop them, raise them up, train them up, and then be there when they fall because they're going to fall. They're going to make mistakes. 
And so my goal is not to ostracize any generation or any age groups. My goal is to bring us all together. Look, we need the old people or the senior people. We need seasoned people. We need middle-aged people. We need young people. Look, you can't have a church just full of young people because then you ain't got no money. Felt like telling them you can't raise a million dollars with a bunch of young people. We got, we got some mature people up in here. Come on, somebody. Like, it's so funny. People are like, I don't need you. The, the teenager talking to your parent. Yeah, you do. You need what's in their wallet. You need some wisdom. Come on. We, look, the greatest teacher is not the school of hard knocks. The greatest teacher is someone else's wisdom that keeps me from experiencing the hard knocks in life. And so, and then look, if, if we're more mature, we can't throw out the young people. We need their passion and their strength and their courage. Look, life has caused us to be cynical. You know, when you remember when you were young, you, 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 could, you could fight a bear with a switch. You could leap tall buildings with one bound. You had your little cape underneath all your clothes. You know what I mean? It was like you could do anything. The sky was the limit. Well, the older you get, you become a little more cynical. Well, you know, that's, that's not reality. Well, you know, we need some of that supernatural faith. We need some of the God can and will mentality. Whereas life has beat us up, we got to have, so you got to have all the generations coming together. So, I don't know where all that came from. <laughs> Had nothing to do with my message. So, here's a couple of other stats. 43% of all Americans who accept Jesus Christ as their Savior do so before the age of 13. This is from Barna, one of the greatest statisticians of our generation. 64% made that commitment to Christ before their 18th birthday. 13% made the profession of faith while 18 to 21, where only 23% of born-again Christians embrace Christ after their 21st birthday. So where does that tell you that we need to focus? And here's, here's, here's my challenge, and, and, and so Jolea is going to come up in a couple of weeks, and we're going to tag team this again, and she's going to talk about discipleship. Um, because, look, we, we want to reach young people, and I'm going to talk about it, but here's my caveat. Let's don't go reach them while we're losing ours. Right? So, so I, just, I want you to know there's a passion of both ends, that we've got to reach young people, and then we've got to disciple our young people. And so that's why we are so passionate about children's ministry and that's why we actually have a weekly children's church that it is an age-appropriate classroom so that your child, I, look, I know we're in a heavy Catholic community um, and we got a lot of great Catholics that come to our church. You don't have to stop being a Catholic to come here. But what we understand is children inside the auditorium are good and it's great. It, we, we enjoy it, but it's even better when they're in a class with other children that are their age with a teacher that is talking their language, helping them to understand it in their way. And that's why we invest in that, that here, even while we're portable, we would set up for hours creative environments where kids could learn. Why? Because we value teaching and training them and, and discipling them and raising them up as children. That's why we have a full-blown youth service, 7 o'clock Wednesday nights for all of our teenagers. We do the exact same thing that we do on a Sunday. We felt like for a while we would do it once a month, but I had just, this has been stirring in my heart. I said, we got to go back to the old school, weekly youth services, altar calls, prayer services, worship moments, like lay hands on the kids, pray over the kids, teach the word to the kids, like that old school. You know what I was, you, we were raised in that. Why do we go back to that? Because we're not going to lose this generation. We're going to go all in. That's, that's why this summer we have VBS for our children. Woo, 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 woo. Come on, July 5th, 6th, and 7th. Why would the team work so hard? Because we're going to reach the children. Why, why are we going to youth summer camp July 11th through 13th? Why? Because we're going to reach our teenagers. Come on, anybody excited? Jolie, are you all ready for youth surge? Woo. Where's, it's going to be great. In fact, if you're a teenager, you need to make sure you get signed up. Get signed up for both. Hey, and listen, don't let money stop anybody. We will find you a sponsor. You just get your child and your teenager signed up. 
and we're going to make it happen. Why, why would we do that? Because if we don't reach young people, we're going to lose them. It's a fact. If we don't reach them, we're going to lose them. It, I, I saw this in something. Don't worry, I got it. I just, I'm not going to cry on you. But it, it, first, it made me very angry. And then it made me very sad. Phyllis showed me a social media post uh, in March. Here's the post. Uh, it was from a guy named Mischief and Little Nas X. And um, I don't know if you know who these guys are, the adults. You probably don't. But uh, Little Nas is the one that uh, sings the song Old Town Road. How many have ever heard that song? How many found yourself singing that? I'm at my kids' school, and they're blaring it at one of the days. So I'm like, oh, old town, da, 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 da. Come on, V, right? Da, 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 da. So you got a little swag, and you don't think nothing of it, and it's all good. And then, and then the man comes out with a song called Montero, where he's lap dancing with the devil, and he puts a post like this. So, so here's what little Nas and Mischief came up with. They were going to create some shoes called Satan shoes, and they actually put some human blood in the Satan shoes. They only sold 666 of them, about $1,000. They sold out in less than a minute. There was a generation that would have never. That's the generation I was on, right? Because, because we were a Christian nation. In God we trust. Look, everybody went to youth group or Catholic mass. or I mean, but we all, very few people that I grew up with didn't at least go somewhere. And now we have a generation that goes nowhere. Singing people's songs who are straight connected with the devil himself, promoting not even like a nonchalant kind of underground, like right in your face. Hey, here's my, here's my Lord. Here's my Savior, Satan. And nobody even really frowns about it. You know, it's the Christians, we got all upset. And man, when I first saw it, I told Phil, I said, that's absolutely crazy. I'm like, what songs does he sing? Then I'm like, Old Town Road, is that the same song that we've been listening to and, and you hear and it's everywhere? Oh, the same guy. The same guy who's mentoring our teenagers, mentoring our families, mentoring our schools. This is the one that is uh, selling these shoes. Yep, absolutely. So I got angry at first. I'm like, that's just stupid. I can't believe it. Get all his songs out. Don't you dare play that song. Right? And it's true. And, and, and really, it is true. It tells you, hey, listen, parents. Have you looked at the lyrics that your kids' music that they're listening to? I think we'd be real shocked. And here's the challenge that's even more. They got little players right in their ear all day, every day. Little, little AirPods, you know, before we'd have to play it and didn't, didn't really have much on my Walkman, you know what I mean? Come on, somebody. You know the one with the bass boost? You had to hold it together so it wouldn't kind of... Right? They just got the little AirPods. They listen to it all day, every day. Marshmallow, all the... You know what I mean? Listen, listen to the lyrics. And so, but, so I got angry, and then I was talking to a pastor about it, and he said, well, did you see his post when the Christians started to have some backlash? And I said, no. He said, well, let me send it to you. So this is the post that little Nas sent on social media. So all this on social media. He said, I spent my entire teenage years hating myself because of the, and then he goes on and cusses, all the stuff y'all preached that would happen to me because I was gay. So I hope you, and then he, he just goes on a rant. Hope you're mad. Stay mad. Feel the same anger you teach us to have towards ourselves. And I thought, you know, I, I can't get into all the details, but so, so, so Lil Nas was in a place where he could have been reached. And instead of being reached, he was judged. not our job to judge them our job is to love them and share the truth 
But how many know truth with love is different than truth with judgment? So I didn't come here to judge people. That's why even when I talk about it, listen, there is right and there is wrong. But you can't win your enemies to Christ. Like what you notice about Jesus always came alongside the sinner. The religious sat across from the sinner. Jesus got in the world of a sinner. He did, so I just, I, I think the sadness comes that we had an opportunity to reach an influencer, a world changer, a teenager that was lost. And it doesn't matter. Someone said, well, yeah, but that's, no, I think that's the way in the case for every young person. That inside of them is a champion. Inside of them is a warrior. Inside of them is someone that God has created to impact their world. And we missed it. Imagine if he'd have been reached instead of judged. Imagine if he'd have been loved. I mean, can you just imagine what God would have been able to do in and through his life? Like just when you see what the devil has done, you just got to know that God had something even better and something even greater. And so that's why for us, every teenager here matters. Every child matters. We're not going to lose them. And I... I have to look at it like it's my responsibility to, meet, to, to reach them. It's our responsibility to reach them. See, I, I had a college professor. I went to Lamar uh, University, and I never forget, you know, I'm, I'm in college. I, I barely got out of high school. I'm super smart, but I just didn't put a whole lot of effort into it, and I uh, just wanted to get out as quick as possible, so I go into college. It was amazing. I went from barely passing high school to the dean's list or the president's list in college. And uh, I'll never forget I had a professor, and, you know, I'm, I'm just kind of, okay, cool. I'm going to get into class, and I'm meandering. I don't know. I was about five minutes late, and I'll never forget. He had locked the door. Like, he's looking at me. <laughs> so I just walk up. I'm like, cool. Try. He, he said, Went on back, and I was like, okay, that's the first lesson. All right, all right, so, so I see how you're going to be. I get there early the next time. So now the professor goes in, and, and it, was, it was the worst class I've ever had in my entire life. He literally sat up there, and this is what he did. So, so there was no grace. I mean, come on, somebody. If I see you, I'm probably going to let you in the door. No grace. Just you're either here or you're not. And then the entire class, he read the book. Read it verbatim. I'm like, I know he isn't. Like, for real. Like, I'm not in kindergarten. I thought this was college. So he literally read the whole thing. He must have had tenure. I don't understand. But, but I'll never forget, the question was asked, hey, uh, are you going to teach us something? He's like, no, we're just going gonna, gonna to read. And uh, he said, well, okay. They said, well, how do we learn? He said, it's your responsibility to learn what I say. And then what was it? I mean, it was it was the weirdest thing. Like, okay, prep test here. You take it. He put the onus of teaching all on the student. Can I tell you, great teachers take the responsibility. If my class is not getting this, I'm going to find a way to get it through to their heart. If they don't understand it, I'm going to make it simple. If it's boring, I'm going to make it interesting. There is something about when we say, I'm going to take the responsibility to come in and to help. Make sure you have everything you need to get what you need to be successful. Now, I understand you can't take a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. I get it. But I think this fallacy of it's their job to find the church. It's their job to come to God. No, baby, we ought to go out into the highways and byways. We ought to be in the schools. We ought to be in every location. And then when they come to church, we ought to make it relevant. We ought to connect with them. We ought to find ways that they say, man, if that's how God is, I want to know God. I want to love God. I want to serve God. There ought to be some ownership of this is our responsibility as a church. We're not going to lose 
this young generation. God has a mission for the life. God has a plan for the life. And here, here's, here's a passage that I, I want to spend a few minutes in this morning. 1 Samuel 17, 33. I was reading this last month and came back to read it again. And some words really stood out to me that I, I thought, wow. This is the story of David. David is the shepherd boy that God anoints to be king. And most of you have heard this story. If you've been around church, if you're brand new to church and you've never heard this story, uh, Samuel, the prophet, anoints David as king. Saul was the king, but God replaces Saul with David. Now, when he's anointed, he's still a teenager. He was probably 16 years old, 15 years old. He is a shepherd boy. He's watching his father's sheep. And so now his dad sends him on an errand, and the, the, God's people, Israel, they're in a fight against the Philistines. And so before they go to battle, both nations say, hey, instead of us all fighting and losing lots of people in this battle, why don't we send one warrior to come in and fight each other, and whoever wins that battle will win the war. The other nation will surrender. So there's this massive giant, his name is Goliath, and he comes out. And he taunts the nation of Israel, hey, give me a champion, come fight me. Now he's a giant, he's nine foot tall, massive, huge. So the king should have went out and fought him. The responsibility of that nation rested on the shoulders of that king. The Bible said that Saul was head and shoulders above everyone else. He should have had the courage, he didn't. He should have had the faith. He didn't. That's okay. That's another lesson. But David arrives on the scene, and David asks what's happening, and lo and behold, David says, that's crazy. Our God can beat him. Saul says, hey, who's this guy that's asking questions? Bring him to me. And so we pick up right here where David is there having a conversation with the king, and he just tells Saul, he's like, hey, I'll, I can fight this giant. I can beat it. Imagine. <laughs> Adults, Imagine. Like, it's my responsibility to whoop this giant, and a little boy, 16-year-old boy, walks in. I mean, he wasn't massive. They said a ruddy young man, handsome and ruddy. So I'm thinking, you know, he's a little scrapper, you know, scrapper, but he ain't huge. And he walks in, but he's got the tenacity, the courage, the passion, and he gets all up in Saul's business. Something must have inspired Saul. He's like, dang, look at that boy right there. He's like, that's good. So he pats him on the shoulder. Look, look at what he says. He says, oh, don't be ridiculous. There is no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. Now, how many know that's life experience speaking right there? That's some disappointment speaking right there. That's some past trauma from things you expected God to do, but he didn't do. So instead of looking through fresh eyes of faith, now he's skeptical. He says, there's no way. And then look at, look at how he patronizes and minimizes David. You're only a boy. I mean, you're just a kid. How many of you have got some teenagers? Anybody got any teenagers? <laughs> I, I, I got two now, uh, uh, two teenagers and uh, two girls that act like teenagers and uh, it's very interesting for us to have this mentality of you're just a kid. You're just, you're just a kid. But uh, Saul's response, David, you're just a boy. You're just a child. Um, I, I don't think you can do what you think that you can do. And so he's minimizing David and he's calling him out. In other words, just say, I don't, I don't, no, no, you know, I know, just keep talking. That's what teenagers do. They talk a lot of hype, talk a lot of game, but they really can't can produce in their life. And so what we tend to do, I don't know about you, but I tend to overprotect my kids. Anybody? I, I, you know, I started working when I was young, Steve and I. It's funny because as, as, as I look back on my life, I don't want you to minimize me. Don't, don't call me a little kid. By the time I was 14, I was working construction. In fact, I saw Henry Labrie this last week. Um, we called him Porky. All of his people called him Porky. We were digging out um, trenches and pouring slab for concrete. How I many know that is not easy work? 14 years old doing it. I'm like, man, I got it. Got a job, made $250 a week. I was rich. <laughs> Woo! 
all summer, and then we worked every Saturday. And by the time Steve and I were 16, we started t-shirt business. 17, 18, gold plating business. By the time we were 18, we bought our first house. By the time we were 21, we had seven properties. By the time I was 22, 23, we owned a restaurant. So I look back in my life, and it didn't start when I was 30. And we forget how that as we were brought up, there were some things that happened that were hard, but those hard things made us men. Called us to grow up, to have responsibility, to have some courage. And then our kids get in, and since we didn't have it getting, you know, growing up, we want to make sure they got everything in their life. And so we tend to minimize, hey, you're just a kid. I want you to know you're not raising just a kid. You're raising a warrior. A young man or woman that has great courage, great passion, and in David's case, great skill. But I look at David, and what's interesting with David was he didn't show up on the battlefield to fight for the first time. That means that his dad must have trusted him with the sheep when he was 13, 14, 15. And here's what's even more amazing. Apparently... He's the only one that was courageous enough to go after the lion and bear because it didn't say me and my pops, me and my brother, me and my friends. It said, I ran after the lion and the bear. So there was great responsibility and trust and development. And so because he had victory in the field, now he's ready to fight in the valley. And my challenge for us is we want to pacify our kids, minimize them, shelter them, protect them, and then we expect them to go off to college and go beat your giants. But what have they whooped now? What, what life choices have they whooped? Well, I don't want them to make the same mistakes. No, no, they're, they're, they're going to be set up for failure because they've never fought in the field. They've never made choices in the field. They've never been responsible for anything in the field. And now we're going to send them off and somehow they're going to whoop a giant? I wonder if that's not why so many turn from the faith. They think my, you were the God of my parents and I heard that and I thought you loved me, but how come I can't beat this giant? And so then we blame it on God and it's not God. We've got to look and reflect it. It's our parenting. It's us. Are we the problem? Has society dumbed us down as a generation to not believe that young people can change the world. God has a history of entrusting teenagers with great responsibility, great responsibility to stand out and fight a real physical giant. God knew that was his man, that there was greatness inside of him. There was a book that, that, that I was reading, it's called How to Raise an Adult. Come on, somebody. Ever a generation, we need to raise up some adults. Julie Lithcott Hames is the one that writes it. Look at what she says. I'll just read it to you. She, she writes that students entering college have been overparented. And as a result, they're timid about exploration, afraid to make mistakes, and they're unable to advocate for themselves. Overparenting, helicopter. <laughs> I don't want them to feel the pain. Hey, listen, sometimes there's growth in the pain. Sometimes there's victory in the pain. Why? Because I ain't going to do it again. And some, look, we would love to say I could coach you through it, but how many know sometimes they just got to fail? Look, I don't agree with this mentality, just give everybody a trophy. No, baby, there are winners and there are losers. And my kids are on the winning team. Come on, somebody. Right? I mean, everybody ain't a winner. I'm sorry if I just, uh, you probably just left. Come on, Josh, we're going to leave the church. Look, I, I, like, like when do we realize, no, there's winners and losers. There's a first, second, third, fourth, fifth. Like, like when you minimize hard work, then nobody wants to work. It's like it takes hard work to be a champion. It takes hard work to slay giants. It takes hard work to kill lions and bears and 
So at some point you got to say, man, look at that, that line you just killed. Look, look, you stood up for God. Like we got to acknowledge these victories that they're having. They walk through the, the hallways. Look, it's, it's amazing that you still love God. That's, that's beating a bear just by itself. It's amazing that you want to come to church. Baby, that's awesome. You invited somebody here. That's amazing. I found myself really uh, nervous as an adult. I, I'm raising a man-child. Uh, some of you are laughing. I, uh, today is Caden's birthday. He is my oldest. Where you at, Caden? What's up? We say he's my man-child because he's so stinking tall. He's taller than us. He's been 14. Everybody thinks he's 16, 17, 18. And, um, anyway, so... Uh, growing up, I never went hunting. My dad worked all the time. I just, it just wasn't anything we ever did. Well, somehow Caden got involved as a kid watching the hunting and uh, channel. Somehow, he, I don't even know how he got to watching it, but he'd start watching hunting channel and he always loved the outdoors and discovery. And lo and behold, he's like, dad, I want to go hunting. I'm like, son, we can't. He said, why? I said, because I don't know nothing about hunting. <laughs> I've never been. So he calls his Uncle Barney. Uncle Barney, now listen, he's only seven years old. I'm going to go hunting. Was Uncle Barney, they got a lease. He'd been hunting his whole life. And uh, I didn't think Barney was going to say yes. And so lo and behold, Barney says, yeah, come on. I'm like, oh, oh, no. (laughs) No. What you mean, come on? I said, no, no, you're not going to experience that with my son for the first time. He said, oh, we'll just kill a doe. Well, Caden's heart was so excited. I'm like, Torn. I'm like, nah, I'm going to figure this thing out. How do I do it before he goes with Barney? Well, I couldn't do it, so I'm like, all right, you can go, but you can only kill a doe. Now, if you've never hunt, that's the one with no antlers. Because <laughs> I want to be there when you kill the big one, right, the one with the antlers. And so he's, he's eight years old, so when he gets ready to go, I'm like, Caden, are you like, Barney, are you sure? I, I don't know, Caden's never really shot a gun. I mean, we didn't even really have any guns at that time. Now we have like 14. How I many we have now? <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> If you ever need guns, if there's a zombie apocalypse, you come on over to Pastor's house because I got one for you. My son collects guns. I'm like, brother, that's, it's, don't it shoot? Bullets, right? Bullets and bullets, rifle, rifle. Cool. Why do we need 27 of them? I just need one and lots of ammo. Um, so he goes out. Lo and behold, he's, he, he kills, uh, I'm not going to say Bambi, but he kills, do we have a? So, Ed, yeah, I said, don't make it very graphic. I know, I know, okay. So this, but look how young he is. Look at how young he is. He's eight years old doing something I've never done. I'm a third, I was by the time, the mid, uh, upper 30s. Never done anything like it. He comes back, he's energized, he's excited. So I figured this, if I'm going to have a relationship with my son, I better learn how to hunt. And so that's what I started to do. I'd, I'd go on every trip I could. We started to learn. We, we've been on so many great trips together. It's been amazing. We made lots of great memories. And every time we go, I'm just a little nervous. Like he's done all the hunting glasses, and now it's, it's amazing. But, um, you know, he has developed something that is pretty rare. And I have been in amazement to watch. My son is not only a good shot, he's a marksman. So when you say that, what does that mean? Well, that means, show, show the next picture we have. Let me see which one. So this right here probably doesn't look like a lot to you guys. But my son beat, so this last year, we ended up going to Pastor Willie's ranch. He's a mentor of mine, Willie George. You guys know Pastor Willie. Uh, went to his ranch. Now, he does not allow teenagers at his ranch. It's men only, pastors only. Well, Pastor Willie has come to know and love Caden. And he said, I said, well, Pastor Willie, can Caden come? It's the only way I'm really going to be able to go. I just, I can't, I don't feel good about going somewhere and not bringing Caden on this trip. And he said, baby, I wouldn't let anybody else, but you bring your boy. So we go up there. We go quail hunting. It was amazing. I don't think Pastor Willie's ever let anybody go quail hunting, but Caden. So he's 14. Remember back then, he's 14. You're looking at this piece of paper. You don't know what that is. My son got first place out of the skeet shooting contest the entire season with more than 50 men. That's what you're looking at right there. So I, we were there, and the guys are like, hey, they're texting. Your son's doing it right now. He's breaking everybody's score. He's making us all look bad. You better get over here. 
It's a gift. I've never seen anything like it. He gets up there. He's telling me how to hold my gun. Oh, okay, okay. Oh, you do, okay. Dad, don't do that. Dad, don't do that. When you do it, you got to pull it to the side. You got to. And so then, not only with guns, he does it with bows. So here's, here's what they call a Robin Hood. It's like a one in a 100,000 shot. It's when you go one arrow on the target, 30 to 50 yards away, and the other one splits it from the back. No, go back to the other one. That's the, the, so that right there, that's what you were looking at right there. The back of one and the front of the other. Now go the other one. Now this one is him just shooting at a target. I don't know, we're 30, 40 yards. You saw the two colors. One of those colors was mine. He taught me well. So what's my point is, is where I'm nervous about, okay, can Caden do this? I'm not even sure. For the longest time, I was like, no, 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 no. And then I thought, listen, if I don't allow him to take some risk, if I don't allow him to try, someone else is going to have the joy of raising my son. Someone else is going to have the joy of saying, yeah, yeah, you got this. You can do this. So I just thought, hey, why don't we take steps? And the whole time teaching and, man, he's getting it and is cultivating him. And so now what I've seen is my son is a warrior. He's a beast. He ain't afraid. He'll get out there. I, I was talking to Barney at the, the, the funeral this last week, and Barney said, that boy knows more than most grown men. And I thought, why? Because he was encouraged. Now, listen, I'm not trying to give myself credit. I'm not trying to impress you. I'm trying to impress upon you something that I stumbled in, something that I just learned, not because I meant to, but because I saw the pattern of this victory, give a little bit more responsibility. And he was able to handle it. Now he is a grown man and a 15 year old body able to do what very few can do. And that gift was in him the whole time untapped, unrecognized, had no idea. He didn't get it from me. He must have got it from Phyllis. <laughs> but I want you to see this. Now show the next picture. This is what touches my heart. Well, that, that too. You're like, why does that touch your heart? No, I forgot that picture was there. That picture touches my heart. He never told me. He didn't say anything. But you know what happened? He's got some victories. In the natural, in a, in, in a hobby. Don't think the hobbies and the leisure time don't bleed into the ministry time. And so he built some courage over here. Now he's ready to try it over here. And Alexis and Paul, who do an amazing job, said, Caden, you're ready. Caden, why don't you get up here? Why don't you go and do your thing? And I have been so blessed. And I know this. He's learning to kill lions and bears, but one day he's going to slay our giants. Go back to David, verse 34. So David persists. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. And this is when he talks about the lion and the bear. Came to steal it. I love that. That's the ownership. Look, if you'll allow young people to step up in responsibility, they'll own it. As we give the young people this church, they're going to own this church. That's why we have them serving everywhere and leading everywhere. Why? Because, man, I'm telling you, they want to be a part of something. They want to make a difference with their lives. And they said, came and still lamb flock. I, go out. I went after it with a club and rescued the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I've done this to both lions. Did you notice that? My English majors? That was not a single lion. And bears. Both plural. And I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the army of the living God, the Lord who rescued me from the claw of the lion and the, and the grips of the bear is gonna rescue me from this Philistine. If you hadn't read the story, of course, we know David wins a great victory that day. He takes five smooth stones and kills Goliath. He knocks him out, cuts off his head with his own sword. But the thing even there, I, there's so much that we could talk about. Saul tried to put his armor on David. Look, we're going to have to let our young people fight their battles their way. You're going to have to allow them to do things that are different. We're going to have to give them freedom to fail, freedom to go out and try. Look, I, I, I gave up the ability to approve graphics a long time ago. Let me just give you a, there's a couple of things that I gave up the ability on. Number one, graphics. Number two, worship. Vanessa and the team leave very heavy in those areas, and here's why. The older generation will tolerate creative, goofy graphics, 
but the young generation will never come and see because you're irrelevant. So the day you start to say, play my song, do my thing, that's the day we lose the option of reaching young people. See, we've got to remember this isn't about us. Sundays are about reaching lost people, connecting us to the heart of God. And then we disciple from there. This is our front door of people who don't know God, would never walk into this service. And then they come in. It's like I experienced God. Why? Because it was relevant to them. Responsible, courageous. Here's an article that I read from Berkeley. How teens are different from past generations. Youths of every racial group, every region and class are growing up more slowly, they say. A phenomenon that Tweenage, the author, said she neither champions nor judges. However, employers and college administrators have complained about today's teens' lack of preparation for adulthood. And we're going back into this same thing, but here's the thought that I want to I just drop, and I'm going to get ready to close in just a second. It's, I wonder if we have replaced responsibility with entertainment. Wow. Come on. We're busy. To help someone become responsible takes a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of energy. So let me just entertain you. So instead of responsibilities, we give Xboxes. Instead of responsibilities, we give iPhones, we, we, we give social media platforms, we do TikToks, and we do Instagrams. And look, I'm not saying any of those things are bad in and of themselves, but when they begin to replace raising up responsible teenagers, we've already lost the battle. And the enemy knows that because he'll want to entertain us so that we are passive. I'm always amazed, and we were just talking about it, how we have a young generation of influencers who have never won a battle. They've never won a championship, never built a company, never launched a ministry. Some have never even graduated from college. And yet what has happened is they have become influencers, and so now everybody wants to be a YouTube influencer. Everybody wants to be a social media influencer, and I want you to know that that's okay, and I'm not hating on it. I hope there are some, some influencers in this church, but here's what I would tell you. Influence and win battles. Influence and fight lions. Influence and destroy bears. Go out and say, listen, I'm influencing, but influence is not just something so you can add up all the dollars that they put in your bank so you can make corporations rich influence in the kingdom of God is to leverage your life so that souls would be saved we would depopulate hell and populate heaven that's why we have influence and we ought to have our life lead people to Jesus but here's the challenge that's not popular it's okay it's okay why because listen this life would come and go so quick it's a vapor it's a mist James says there's going to come a day where we stand before God. Do I want to be something that the society says is valuable? Or do I want to be a man or a woman, a teenager, a child that stepped up in the calling and the gifts that God gave me to win the battles God's called me to win? I think if we'll remove some of the distractions, we'll raise up champions. It's amazing. I love technology. Um, Eli, you guys can come. Uh, I have AT&T, not advocating for AT&T, but I love it because it's all digital. My whole house is all digital. How I many you know? And so they've got this amazing at-home app on there, and uh, you can pause boop, TV. So internet, you know, it's all connected. So it's like boop. And it's amazing. Danielle, one of Phyllis's high school friends, is here. Hey, Danielle, it's good to see you. We were eating dinner last night called the kids while they're up in the media room. They're watching something. And uh, they're like, where's everybody at? I said, hold up. Give me just a second. They'll all be right down. <laughs> and I call it, I, you know, that's where the TV, the internet shuts off and it just does this little thing. Caden, what do I call that? It's the circle of love. <laughs> I tell them, I said, that's the circle of love. What you mean? Well, I love you so much. It's time to eat dinner. I love you so much, it's time to go to bed. 
oh, Dad, can you turn on the TV? It's, it's like, well, I had one child, and this is how, how great a parent I am. She watched TV from 3 a.m. till she hadn't even gone to bed. I didn't even know it. I'm like, good Lord. She's like, Dad. I'm like, what's wrong with you? She's like, I, I hadn't been to bed. I hadn't been to bed. I'm like, what you doing? She's like, I watch TV. It was YouTube. It was, I was like, oh, my God. So now I have this rule. You can't watch TV before 10 a.m., and it goes off at a certain time. And then we turn, and it's amazing. What, what, what am I doing? I'm, I'm trying to remove distractions. I want you to go live life. It's amazing. You turn off the TV, they'll go and actually play ping pong. They'll actually jump on the trampoline. They'll go and ride their bikes. It's amazing how when you shut off the distractions, now we begin to live life. Maybe they'll start a business. Maybe they'll go and start a ministry. Maybe they'll go do some outreach. Maybe they'll go out and reach people that have been lost just like them. Look, young people, I'm not hating on you. I want you to hear this. I'm not trying to advocate that you don't get to do it. That, that's not it. I'm actually advocating that you would live life. That you would be the champion that God's called you to be. That you would be raised up to go and fight the battles that, look, we're not going to be able to fight our whole lives. Every teenager has a warrior spirit inside of them. They're champions ready to be unleashed. How do we do this together? Pastor, how, how, do we, how do we make sure we reach a generation and we disciple this together? Have you ever heard the old adage, it takes a village to raise a child? It's one of the things I love. We, we have a family that comes here that's in ministry, Pastor Salim and Melanie and the whole Caleb family. And we tell people we're, we're just like, we're like two families in, that have come together. So we have Steve's family and our family and the Kalas. And it's amazing. Mel, hey, they're coming over. You'll see like 27 of them. To the Kalos. And they were like, hey, everybody come over tonight. So then all, 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 they all heard go over to our house. And it's like this roaming herd. And it's, it's why? Because Salim and Melanie can say things that Phyllis and I can't. We can say things that they can't. Steve can say. It's amazing how smart everybody else is except you. <laughs> Uncle Steve is so smart. Yeah, I, I know. I, I know. Just go learn the same thing I've been trying to tell you for 10 years from your uncle because he's so smart. <laughs> Alexis and Paul, you guys are geniuses. Just want you to know, my kids think you guys are geniuses. <laughs> we need to do it together. And then this is what I would tell you. Everyone matters. I need all of you. We need each other. I was talking about the story of Lil Nas and um, just researching some of the other stories like famous people and I came across one that I thought will touch you because we didn't lose them all. Chris Pratt, I don't know if you've ever watched Guardians of the Galaxy or Jurassic World, that's, that's from Vanessa, our single, come on, slow it down. <laughs> Avengers. He was introduced <laughs> That was, he was introduced to Jesus as a wayward teenager in Hawaii by a complete stranger. So I'm going to read a little bit of the story. It came out of Esquire magazine. A guy came by, him and his friends, and they said, what are you doing tonight? He was like, uh, I don't know. I'm just reading this out. Uh, I don't know. So he's like, well, will you fornicate tonight? He's like, I hope so. And drugs and drinking, uh, it's most likely going to happen, Yeah. Probably all of those things we're going to do. I mean, at least two of them, possibly all three, Pratt says. The stranger then looked to Pratt. He said, I stopped because Jesus told me to stop and talk to you. He said to tell you that you're destined for great things. Now, I forgot to tell you in this moment, they're going into a store to rob the store of some candy and stuff, you know, just mischievous things. Go in there and steal them, put them in their pocket, not, not under gun. So this man has seen all of this and said, I feel the Lord has told me to stop and speak to you and tell you, you are destined for great things. My friends came back out after they had stolen all the stuff. It was like Chris responded to him, hey, I'm going to go with this guy, this stranger. And then he goes on and he tells the story that because of the love of that man, he gave his soul to Jesus. He goes on to say that this man continued to invest in him, and that man in that moment forever changed his life. So I don't know if you know, Chris Pratt's a Christian, publicly. 
Why? Because one person got into the messiness of a mischievous kid, a teenager. I need you to get into the messiness of our kids. You know, Joe Lay and them have a booth outside and say, well, what's the booth for? To get you signed up. Why? Because you've been inspired. Don't leave here and not get signed up. Every one of you, what do you do? Well, you can sign up for VBS. You sign up for Surge Summer Camp. You want to be a chaperone. Sign up to help us every week in children. Sign up to help us in our weekly youth service. The point is this. We all have a part to play. And I know you say, I got teenagers. I want to get away from them. Yeah, but maybe you can help someone else's. I got kids. Yeah, I know you do. We all do. But maybe you can help someone else's. That together we can reach a generation that I believe God is called to not only be the future, but to be the now. So don't be surprised if you see teenagers coming up and leading in greater ways. And Why? Because we're empowering a generation. That doesn't mean we get to check out, we get to leave. That means we get to stay here. We need to help undergird, coach, train, pick them up when they fall. We surround them that we would have multiple generations standing together as a church, reaching lost people for Jesus. Won't you stand? Let me just pray over us. We're going to close. Father, we thank you for today. God, I'm asking you to do what only you can do. Lord, your word has gone forth, and God, I, I pray, would you just help us? God, I repent of every time I've ever minimized a young person. Every time I've ever tried to overcorrect God, we want to give them responsibility. We want to help them. We want to encourage them. God, we want to empower them to be the young men and the young women that you called them to be. God, I pray that they would have an encounter with you. Lord, I pray for every parent in this place that feels overwhelmed. Every parent in this place that feels a little hopeless. Maybe they're teenager has gone too far. Maybe they're a young adult now, but God, we stand on your words from Joshua. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. God, we're not going to lose any of our teenagers. We're not going to lose any of our children. We're not going to lose any of our young adults. God, we call them home just like the prodigal. Let them come to themselves. We thank you, Father. Yeah.